You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined again by Gene Henley here to bring you possibly the last episode that Gene and I are doing together before the start of the regular season of Tennessee Vols and Lady Vols basketball. It's almost here. We're recording this on a Tuesday evening, exactly a week away from the men's team tipping off the next week. On Wednesday, the Lady Vols will also tip off, so we're basically a week away from basketball here in the state of Tennessee. The Vols just finished up their exhibition game over the weekend. Lady Vols will be playing on Wednesday. More on all that here in just a second. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to all of you who are tuning in here. If this is your first time, welcome into the show. We are super happy to have you here. We very much appreciate it. If this is not your first time with the show, thank you for coming back. Share it with a friend. If you know any Vol fans out there who love basketball especially, Share the show with them. This is a good one to kind of hop into because we're going to be giving our, our, our recap a little bit of the exhibition game, but also mainly our season predictions for Tennessee, uh, kind of the, the player we think is going to be the standout player, maybe a surprise player, breakout player, whatever, um, and also you know a record prediction of sorts, and then kind of what we think Tennessee is going to do in the postseason this year. So that's going to be this episode. So if, if you want to introduce this to somebody, this is a good one to introduce them to. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well, not just a five-star review, but leave us a, an actual written review, and we'll read them off here on the show. Follow us on Twitter at VolHoopsFever, and go like us on Facebook at VolBasketballFever. We are up over 1,000 likes on Facebook, so thank you to all of you who have supported us there on Facebook and given us all those likes up over a thousand down over over 700 followers on twitter so thank you all so much for the support we're very glad that basketball is basically back gene before we get into our season predictions and before we get into looking at what we're expecting from this team this season for the men's team especially at least we'll, we'll do a lady vols one a little bit later may have a guest on for that one too but looking back at the exhibition game this past weekend but uh, against lenore ryan Gene, I, the two two things really stood out to me, and then there obviously were several others that stood out too, but two things really stood out to me from that game. One, I legitimately think Kennedy Chandler is the real deal. Yes, it was against Lenore Ryan, and yes, it was an exhibition game, and yes, it's not going to be the type of, you know, that, that's not going to be indicative of what we're going to see night in, night out. But he finished that game 8 of 10 shooting, 4 of 5 from 3, perfect in the free throw line, 21 points, Six assists, five rebounds, only one turnover, two steals in 22 minutes. Like, it's not even just a stat. Like, I watched all uh, 40 minutes of that game from start to finish. He was just, he was very impressive. He moved quickly. He looked, he didn't look like a freshman to me. He, he looked like a guy who'd been in the system. He, he reminded me a lot of uh, Jordan Bone as a junior, a guy who's been in the system for a couple years. Like, he, he didn't look like a fish out of water. He didn't look like he was trying to make up for the, the speed of the game. Granted, again, this is against a Lenore Ryan team that you know Tennessee easily dispatched and should have easily dispatched. But I was thoroughly impressed by Kennedy Chandler and thought he he legitimately looked like the real deal. And I don't know that we'll see you know we'll see some freshman moments from him this year. I, I I'm willing to guarantee that. But he looks like an actual like one of the best point guards since he's had in a very long time, uh, in my opinion. 
The other thing that really stood out to me, and we'll get to some more player-specific stuff too, is Tennessee jacked up almost 53 pointers in this game, Gene. They shot 46 threes. Again, it's an exhibition, so it doesn't go on the, the official record book. But I think I saw someone tweet out that if that had been an actual official game, it would have been the most three-pointers Tennessee had taken since the, I think, a game in the early Bruce Pearl era, I think, I want to say. It was definitely in the Bruce Pearl era that I saw them tweet out that that was a stat. So it has been, if that had been an actual official regular season game, that would have been the most threes Tennessee had taken in over a decade of, of basketball. So... That was shocking to me, considering looking at Rick Barnes' teams. And I'll, I'll break that down here in just a second. But Tennessee, under Rick Barnes, hasn't been a very three-point heavy team. But we've seen over the last few years, teams that have been pretty three-point heavy teams have a lot of success. You look last year at Baylor. You look, obviously, at Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn over the past few years in the SEC. Uh, you look at other teams. I think Gonzaga was a, a pretty three-point heavy team. I already mentioned Baylor. Creighton has had a lot of success, and they were a three-point heavy team as well. So, Gene, I, I know you didn't get a chance to watch as much of the exhibition as, as I did, so I'll, I'll probably give a little bit more um, kind of heavy analysis here in just a second. But from what you have been able to see, you know, what were your thoughts? I know one of the other <coughs> things we want to talk about was kind of some of the post players with Kamwa and Huntley Hatfield. So you know, feel free to dish your thoughts on them or Kennedy or, or anything else that stood out to you before I kind of get into some more uh, deeper analysis before we move on to season predictions too. Yeah, um, obviously I've only you know seen bits and pieces of the game, but you know just it, you know I think the early thing that I saw was the first thing that you mentioned. Uh, I mean, when you get the number one point guard in the country, then you, you certainly expect number one point guard in the country sort of you know results. And uh, from what I've watched, I mean that's exactly what he's given. I'm saying. To the listeners, I'm saying impressive tense because I'm literally streaming the game right now as I'm talking. Um, that so that that was probably my my biggest uh, that that was like my been my number one takeaway. Uh, I'm not sure right now. I mean, it's, as far as the game's concerned, it's 25-21 in my streaming purposes, but not a fan of the defense so far. Um, it looks you know looking at the stats, it got better. Obviously, you know they only. Yeah, I think Lenore Ron shot 32% in the second half, but they gave up a lot. Um, they gave up a lot. Like, it wasn't just, you know, it was dry, it was threes, uh, but it was some drives to the basket. Um, hopefully that's not an area of concern. You know, I think that, you know, being able to defend, if, especially, you know, which goes on to your second point about, the you know, their ability to shoot the three and quite possibly their desire to shoot the three that's going to I mean misses are going to lead to runouts and runouts could lead could easily lead to uh, to easy baskets for the opposition so if you're if you're wanting to shoot threes basically about 60% of the time then you better shoot 37% um, and yeah and again I get it they cooled off some but, like, Tennessee has shooters. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast. Tennessee has guards. That's not going to be the issue. Um, I like what I've seen from Huntley Hatfield. I uh, kind of like the way that he was used more of, like, an inside presence. You know, some of that was no Fulkerson, but you start looking at certain lineups and things of that nature and kind of wondering where people can be used. 
I noticed at one point he had Eurosh in with Huntley Hatfield. He had Olivier in with Huntley Hatfield. So that gave Huntley Hatfield a chance to play inside, gave him a chance to play more outside. Uh, just get, you know, just kind of give him some different looks. It kind of gives opponents some different looks as to how he could be used. Uh, I mean, all of his work was done within three feet of the basket. All of his work. And it was just a bunch of just penetration to the basket, you know, hand it off to him, let him finish. Uh, he's a, you know, he's su- he's such a physical talent with his size that I think he's going to be a good player for this team. Yeah, and I think as he gets more acclimated and I think maybe as uh, the guys, I mean, the coaching staff gets more comfortable with him, then I think he'll have the ability to maybe drift out a little bit more. And, you know, the thing I don't know, I mean, obviously I know Fulkerson was out. Um, You know, uh, I guess maybe you can update the listeners as to what may have happened with the dude because I don't know that. Like, he apparently he has, help? I think, pneumonia, I want to say. He, he has something that's been keeping him out for like the last few weeks in practice, too. So he's, he's got some sort of sickness. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. so that's, and, and again, like my biggest fear for this team is I don't think they have any sort of four depth whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and that's that's my biggest concern. So, you know, seeing Eurosh out there, you know, being able to do some things, um, that's good. Anything you can get from him will be a positive. Obviously, you know, listeners know that we are big fans of the, uh, I'm pretty much the president of the Olivier Conwood fan club. And uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Nathaniel is a paying member uh, to my club. And yeah, like he goes out there, he knocks out a three. I think he hit double figure points on the day, uh, 12 points. I mean, and so those are the things that you're going to have to have. Like, you're going to have to get some production from that position. However you get it from the 4-5, uh, you'll have Fulkerson come season time. That's that's the good stuff. You feel comfortable with that. That's a known entity. Now you get past that, you have none of that. So, in watching, I didn't see much to give me less reason to be concerned but at the same time I mean like and that's that's more because of the opponent as opposed to how they play like there's not mm-hmm. going to be that many teams that they go up against where guys like Huntley Hatfield can just dominate the inside they can be productive but in terms of you know in terms of like dominating the interior 44 points in the paint and they only scored um I'm sorry. Here, 103 minus 103 minus uh, 51 is 52. 44 points. They scored two. Like to your point earlier, they they hit they hit two non baskets in the paint. Yeah. They had 40. I'm sorry. Out of the yeah, two non baskets outside of the paint because they had 44 points in the paint. Um. Like I don't know. Like you can get that production, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, they got it from post-ups. Maybe this was a sign that they're going to get that more from guys like Vescovi and Chandler and, and you know guys like that being able to get to the basket and just dish it off for baskets because that's, point, that's paint production too, and I know that's something that Rick has always harped on a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was – and you also brought up the three-point defense because those are two other things that I was going to bring up. Um, 
the the fact that the the minimal shots from the mid range that was something that was has been harped on a lot for Rick Barnes's offense is that they rely too too much on a mid range jumper that is an inefficient shot. And that's been something I, I know that um, a lot of the listeners here probably know who this is, but Will Warren, who's stats by Will on Twitter, has been big on in terms of Tennessee needing to stop taking that mid-range shot because it's not efficient. You might as well shoot a three-pointer because it's worth, po- it's worth more points, and it's I mean it's not a much lower percentage shot. In a lot of instances, it's a higher percentage shot. I- anyway, uh, this game, I think there was only two or three mid-range jumpers even attempted for Tennessee in the entire game. Yeah, two. So like that's that's a big difference. I don't again. I'm not expecting Tennessee to go out and, and shoot 46 threes a game, or or even attempt you know maybe even 30 threes a game or anything like that. But I, it's been it was an interesting shift in, in philosophy for this game, and apparently that's been the way they've been doing a practice. They, they've been shooting a lot more threes in practices and scrimmages and stuff like that. And I'm gonna I, I looked back earlier. I'm gonna go ahead and, and bring it back up here on the the show, but. I look back through the Rick Barnes era at Tennessee so far and kind of what they've been as a three-point shooting team. Last season, Tennessee ranked 240th in the NCAA and three-pointers attempted per game. This season before that, they ranked 263rd. The season before that, the year where they went 31-6, and six, uh, again, that was a, a team that was you know very Grant Williams oriented, uh, but you also had, had guys like Schofield, Bowden, and Bone who shot the three and Turner. But still, even then, Tennessee ranked 299th in three pointers attempted per game that year. The year before that, when they won the share of the SEC regular season, 230th. The year before that, when they were 16 and 16, they were 290th. You have to go all the way back to Rick Barnes's first year on campus as the head coach for Tennessee being ranked inside the top 200 in the entire country in three-pointers attempted per game. That year, they averaged 22.6, which was 77th in the country. But also that year, you look at it, it makes sense why they did that because that team basically had no post players. You you, you had Derek Reese and Kyle Alexander, a, a freshman Kyle Alexander, as your post players, basically. Those are the two guys that started the most games in the post. Um, not the strongest post present. You also I, I, you, know, you look at Armani Moore playing a very small four um, and the small ball lineups. Like that, that wasn't a team that had a lot of post depth or a lot of post players that you really could count on to go score for you. Uh, Derek Reese that, that year in 34 games averaged 3.1 points, Cal Alexander 1.7. So, yeah, you're not getting a lot of post production. So that year you had to jack up a lot of threes because you were so guard heavy, guard oriented. You had Kevin Punter, you know, Armani even shot a few threes, Robert Hubb shot a few threes, but you had Devon Bachman, Dedrick Mostella, Armand Schofield, Shambari Phillips, all those guys were shooting a good amount of three-pointers. So that, that made sense for that team. This year, there's more, obviously a lot more talent, I think, on this roster than that roster back then. And you have better overall post players than you, you did back then for Tennessee. But you, again, are running into the problem where you don't have a ton of post depth and you have a lot of talent in that backcourt in the, in the guard. So I, I'm fully expecting to see Tennessee shoot the three ball more this year. Now, does that mean they're averaging, you know, 22, 23, 24 three-pointers a game? I don't know, but I think we're going to see more three-pointers for Tennessee this year and they've got to get better about shooting it because they were very streaky uh, in that game, exhibition game on Saturday. Ch- Chandler was really the only one that was consistently good. Justin Powell started out really cold, finished hot, uh, for some reason, Viscovi could not find his shot in that game. It took him a while to, f- to hit his first three. He finished one of seven from three in that game. Uh, Ziegler, one of five. Victor Bailey Jr., one of six. Uh, Camel was one of three. You know, not terrible from him there. But you had guys who 
I really just had Jordan James shot nine three-pointers, which is kind of surprising for me to see that. He only attempted one non-three-point attempt the entire game. He was three of nine from three, one of one from uh, the two-point range there. But I don't expect to see Tennessee shooting, you know, 40. Th- I don't expect to see kind of what Auburn and Alabama had done the past few years where Tennessee is basically a three or dumping inside. That's it. I, I do expect to see a little bit more mid-range because that's just what Rick Barnes likes to do. But I don't think you'll see as much mid-range as you have in years past. And I, I hope that's the case because it seems like history for the last few years has been telling us that teams that shoot the three ball a lot and well, both, you know, you can't just shoot a lot. You have to shoot it at a decent clip too. tend to have winning seasons and tend to at least get to the NCAA tournament. And, and a lot of times make decent runs in the NCAA tournament too. I, I looked it up. I think uh, 11 of the 25 teams who shot the most three points, three pointers last year in, in men's basketball, 11 of those 25 teams made the NCAA tournament, and that included teams like Baylor, who won the national championship, Alabama, Creighton. Um, the trimmer, there, there was someone else that I, I, I drew out of there that had, that had a really good year as well. But you look where Tennessee was, I think they were 147 when it comes when it came to actual total number of three-pointers attempted on the year. There were only 16 other teams ranked below them that actually made the NCAA tournament, and only one of those schools even made it out of the first weekend, and that was uh, oh, my brain is slipping. I, I do not remember who it was now, but there, there was only one of those 16 teams actually ended up making it to like the Sweet 16. Um, Tennessee obviously wasn't one of those either. So, point is, I think it's a good thing we saw Tennessee take a bunch of threes. I don't think they're going to take that many um, moving forward, but I think you have guys who feel comfortable with it, and I think it's a chance where surely not all four of the guys of Chandler, Muscovy, Powell, Bailey are all going to be off on the same night. Uh, surely at least one of those guys won't be off. And you, in, that, in that case, you can at least ride the hot hand at anything else. But Gene, you also brought up another good point of uh, something that I noticed from the game too, and that was the three-point defense hasn't improved from last year. And if anything, maybe it's gotten worse possibly. Um, Luna Ryan's not going to show as much in the, the final box score. They finished the game um, 10 of 35 from three, which is only 28.6%. But they started off blistering hot from three and it, it cooled off later on just I think at that point you know the Tennessee's talent took over and um, I think Lenore Ryan was kind of rushing and stuff and again it's an exhibition game you know they were probably working on other stuff working on themselves try to figure out rotations and whatnot so it's hard to take away a ton from an exhibition game but they missed some good shots too. and Tennessee missed some good shots themselves from three but Gene I this might be since you know Rick Barnes has been able to establish himself you know notwithstanding those first couple years of Rick Barnes where, you know, he's having just to flip over the roster and try to do something with very minimal uh, talent and, and bodies on the roster. Going past those first two years, looking at starting with the 17-18 team, this might be the, I guess, probably worst defense we might have, have seen with Tennessee and since then. I don't know that we'll, they'll give up, like, you know, 73-75 points a game, but you look back at the most points per game Tennessee has allowed since those first two seasons were with Rick Barnes. And it was the most offensive-oriented team we've seen so far in Rick Barnes, and that was the 18-19 team. That team averaged 82 points a game, but they also gave up almost 70 points a game at, at 69.7. Uh, and that was, I think, if I go back and look at it here, um, that number grew a lot as the season went on. That, that Yeah, looking at how late February into March and into the uh, NCAA tournament, Tennessee was consistently giving up 80 70, 80, 
80, 71. Like you're looking at Tennessee giving up a lot of low to mid 70s and then letting teams get into the 80s for the large majority of the last, you know, 10, 11 games of the season there. So, but if, if Tennessee, at the same time, Tennessee goes out and has the kind of offensive production that team had and defense slags a little bit, I mean, that team was pretty good, uh, Gene. So I, I think that the three-point defense definitely concerns me, especially with some of the teams Tennessee is going to play this year um, on their schedule. But how much of a concern is that for you when you look at this offense, you know, dropping 103 on Lenore Ryan, sure, whatever. That's still something that Tennessee's offense struggled to do last year, even against, or last couple of years, even against teams that were, you know, they were overmatched. I guess last year they did drop 100, uh, what, early in the year? They did it twice. Yeah, back-to-back against te- uh, Tennessee Tech and St. Joseph's. Um, but for the most part, like, Tennessee hasn't consistently been dropping 100 points over the last few years. If their offense is capable of putting up numbers of that 18-19 team, how much does that defense really concern you? Because I, I think it still is a concern, and it still is a case of if you're off on offense one night, you can't, you're can't. you going to have to rely on your defense, and your defense has not been good for the whole season, then you're in trouble. But I, I don't know that the defense really concerns me as much if Tennessee's offense can do what it can do with that 18-19 team did. The trick of it for me will be I'm not overly concerned about how good with how like legitimately good or great or whatever like your your defense is over 40 because in 2021 basketball college professional whatever although professional seems to be adjusting a little bit um, people are going to score points mm-hmm. your, your better teams can score points like the days of running out a 62 57 win are, are pretty much in the in the rear view mirror and you know I think we talked about that some last year when we kind of describe some of the issues. I mean, Tennessee averaged 70-some points a game last year. They had one of the best defenses in the country. Um, also got to make losses because some, a lot of times uh, when your offense can't get the job done for you, you can only rely so much on the defense. And there were some games, I think the Florida game, where they got blown out, um, where like I'd much rather have a, an offense that can consistently shoot about 30, 36%, 37% from three, maybe 38% for three on average. 38 is good. 36, I think, is a little low. Um, somewhere in the 38 to 40, uh, 38 to 40 range from three-point range. And if uh, we can get stops down the stretch, we're going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Like I think when you watch things such as just breakdowns off defensively, which again in the in the scrimmage can easily be attributed to. Like I saw Huntley Hatfield get beat off the dribble. That's something. He'll, that's angles. That's something that you can figure out over time. Um, Tennessee is consider, was considerably bigger than Lenore Run, so they didn't. A lot of times they didn't even try to go in there with you know with Euros and Huntley Hatfield and those guys so they just jacked up threes they end up making a good number of them I don't think that that's something that you're not going to face some of that stuff so to me it's going to come down to more the can you can you guard off the dribble uh, they can beat that consistently in some of these games down the stretch they're going to be good like I get it we love names we look and a lot of Tennessee's ranking is from like the Kennedy Chandler's and guys like that. Um, like when I watch it, I'm looking to see 
Can they get stops when it counts? Can they make plays when it counts? Do they have guys who can make plays when it counts? To me, the last the answer to the last two questions is yes. Because I just sat there and watched Kennedy Chandler take pretty much everybody that was guarding him on Saturday off the dribble. I get it, Lenore Run, but when you're the number one point guard in the country, I suspect that you've you've shown a lot of people that you can pretty much do that whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change an awful lot whenever you play some of these teams. Plus the fact that he hit four threes, now you kind of have to respect in some capacity his shot from three-point range. You have to at least respect it. Um, so can you make plays? If you can make plays, you're going to win a lot more games than you lose. Bama's defense. I mean, Bama was good last year. Um but a lot of what they did was just make plays when it counted. Yep. Like, yeah, we get it. I get it. Their offense was great. Um, Arkansas, good team. I mean, defense was good, and you could probably look at some of those advanced metrics that suggested their defense was was elite and Bama's defense was elite. But what I know is a lot of times on this stretch of games, when somebody needed to make a play, they had guys who could make plays, whereas Tennessee was leaning on two freshmen to make all the plays down the stretch, and they weren't capable of it, which is why I kind of like the construction of the of Tennessee's roster, minus the fact that they didn't do much to address post depth, in my opinion. Um, so, like, I will, I, I, I think they're going to be okay defensively. I'll feel better two weeks from today when I've had a chance to really kind of lay eyes on them against somebody. Who matters? Um, you know, we make. I mean, UT Martin and ETSU to start things off. That's a brand new ETSU team. That is a completely brand new UT Martin team. Not sure what we're going to you know glean from that. I think those are both transfer heavy teams. Um, I know UT Martin is. I believe the ETSU brought a number in as, as well. So I'm not exactly sure how to gauge those two teams, especially with brand new coaching staffs. But November twentieth, that ain't you know that ain't Lenore Ron. It's Villanova. Like that's what you're. That's when you're going to be judged because I get it. We you know we take things a game at a time, but at the same time, I'm trying to judge you as a national championship contender because that's what you all are telling me that you are. So I'm not going to judge you. Well, we scored 100 points with no run. That's nice. I'm happy for you. Congratulations. And I'm glad that everybody got a chance to play and however many kids got a chance to get in the record book. It's like about two, four, about about 10 people got in the, in the scores book mm-hmm. for an exhibition game. I'm happy for them. Down on the court, some of these kids are Knoxville kids. You know, wanted to put that jersey on and play for the University of Tennessee. They got that opportunity. I truly am happy for any kid that gets an opportunity. Genuinely happy for him. But nobody's judging you on Lenore Rodden. Not many people are going to judge you on UT Martin or ETSU. We kind of fell into this trap a little bit last year because they picked, you know, they did gain a little bit of momentum. Last year's schedule was really weird, but then they blew out Missouri and we had talked ourselves into Tennessee being a, a national championship contender. And then we kind of saw all those flaws laid bare in front of us. So, but what from what I did see against uh, Lenore Run, they're going to be able to score 
don't know about the you know interior scoring the points of the paint stuff whatever it's not about post step that's just i just don't know how sustainable that's going to be when you go up against better teams yeah, and, uh, and I'll be intrigued to see how, again, Ferguson didn't play on Saturday. I'll, I'll be interested to see how much he changes things offensively, but also really defensively, because it, it didn't seem like Tennessee, you know, Lorna Ryan wasn't going to be able to, to take advantage of that, but you're going to play teams in the, the SEC that have bigs that can score on you. Like, can Ferguson, he's not the biggest guy in terms of, like, bulk, but can he and Huntley Hatfield withstand some of the, the beatings and bruises that you're going to get from those SEC bigs? And if they can't, I don't trust Camwell to do that. He, he his, He's improved. I still want to see his aggressiveness get better, and that's where I, it concerns me in SEC play. Urosh is Urosh. I don't expect him to – I don't think his aggressiveness is where it needs to be either, and I don't – you know, we didn't see a do, and I don't know how much a do is going to play. So you're you're right that the post the, – the post is my, it's still not my biggest concern, and Saturday did very little to really address that. I, I think Huntley Hatfield showed out against Lorna Ryan, but that's because they didn't have a true post presence, and he – physically was better than any big guy they're going to throw at him in that game. He's, he's going to be physically better than a big guy that UT Martin or ETSU is going to throw at him either. So maybe if he, he plays more and looks good in those games, I don't know how much that's going to really, you know, we're going to know about that when they play Villanova and then either North Carolina or Purdue here in, in a couple weeks either. No doubt. And yeah. And, and, and so if they, if they can just build in these next two games, um, they just, you know, as long as they build in these next two games to where you get, have some sort of comfort level. Because Fulgerson, yeah, he may not have the size, but he's been around for so long um, that I do think that he's seen pretty much everything. And like, that's a force. That's why he's such That's why he's such an important piece of these t- this team because this team is otherwise young. I, I mean, some of these guys went through their first offseason, like first full offseason this year. I mean, like, you just look at that roster. I mean, Victor Bailey's been around for a while, um, but this was really his first, what, full offseason? Um, because I, I don't count COVID. It's like, you take out the COVID offseason. Yeah, it was his first full offseason as, like, eligible, an eligible player, because he had, he had to set out the year before. Right, yeah. he was there in 1920. Um, but most of these guys, you know, like Josiah Jordan-James didn't have a full offseason. Vescovi, heck, he barely had a freshman season. Uh, like a lot of these guys, comma first off season. So to have a guy like Fulkerson, who is that veteran presence, who's been through it all, who's seen it all, and is a good player. He's not just some guy that's going to be hanging out on the sideline. Like this dude's going to be playing for you. That's so important. And he can only do so much instructing from the sidelines. So having him back out there, I think will shore up some of the defensive stuff. How much I can't really speak on. I mean, you're really going to get like five, six, seven rebounds a game from guys like that. Um, from him, I mean, maybe Huntley Hat feels a little bit better, but uh, Josiah Jordan James, he's the type. He's a kind of a ball hawk defensively. He likes to go snag rebounds. So, um, so yeah, like I, I do think that you're we're, we may figure some stuff out in these next two in these next two games. You know, like they got a lot of point pay points, but you know, like going up against Lenoron, I still think they have the potential of being. Decent in there. I mean, guys can grow. Huntley Hatfield is going to be physically, he's going to be physically superior to a lot of people that he goes up against because he may not be able to post you up inside, but there aren't many guys who, from what I've seen, what I saw from him in the AAU ranks, have the ability to kind of take you off the dribble 
which is the facet of his game that he didn't really show much of Saturday. Um, and there aren't many guys 6'11", what, 235 or whatever, that have that ability. And so, like, there are going to be other facets of his game, other things that get unlocked. Um, I, I still, you know, love the perimeter. We'll see about the interior. Um, love the shooting. And, you know, if you may not shoot 46 uh, threes, but if you can make 37% of them, you're going to win a good percentage of your games. Yeah, no, I was curious and looked up the two most successful um, teams under Rick Barnes at Tennessee so far. That 17-18 uh, team shot 38% as a team from three, and then the next year, 18-19 shot almost 37%, like 367 or something like that. So, yeah, that's a good point. You, you made a good point. If you, if you can get between that 36, 37, 38, 39% as a team, that's going to lead to success. And obviously those two teams, again, were the most successful ones under Rick Barnes so far. So that's a really good point to, that you know, the history backs you up on that one. Gene, <laughs> I, I knew it did, but I, I wanted to look back and see what their shooting percentages were. Again, they didn't shoot a ton of threes, but they made the ones they shot uh, pretty consistently. So that's a, a very good point. But I think all that talk really leads in really well to the last half of the podcast here, and that is our season predictions for the men's team. But later on this week, I'm going to hopefully have a guest on uh, to do the Lady Vols predictions after they play their exhibition game too, so be on the lookout for that. But for here, we'll do the men's team. And, and Gene, I think... <laughs> I, I see where they're counting. I was doing the same thing while you were talking. 31 games, regular season games for Tennessee. Obviously, the only only toss-up right now we don't know is if Tennessee is going to play North Carolina or Purdue as the uh, the second game of that the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament that is on November 20th and November 21st. Start off the year pretty easy with UT Martin, UTSU, Villanova, and then either Carolina or Purdue. Then you have a couple more, you know, should be easy wins. Then you go on the road to Boulder to play Colorado, play Texas Tech at Madison Square Garden, a couple easy wins. You play Memphis and Bridgestone and Nashville. Then you host Arizona, which that'd be fun, and Thompson Bowling. And then you begin SEC play on December 29th on the road against Alabama. So then you also fast forward to that. Your first matchup with Kentucky is on the road on January 15th. You play LSU a couple times uh, before you get to... Texas and Austin for the Big 12 SEC Challenge in late January. Uh, you also play and host Kentucky on February 15th in Thompson Bowling. You play Arkansas on the road. You play Auburn in Knoxville in late February. And then you play Arkansas to end the season in Knoxville, uh, in the Redrick season in Knoxville, excuse me, on March 5th. And then, of course, you go into the SEC Tournament and most likely for Tennessee also the NCAA Tournament. We'll kind of give it an order, a projected order of finish, and kind of where we think Tennessee will finish in the SEC here in a second. But Gene, I, I've looked at the schedule, counted up kind of the the games I think they'll lose, and, and the situations I think could be tricky for them. I genuinely think this team, anywhere from a range of like twenty to twenty-four wins, is not going to surprise me. That's a pretty big range, but I think there's just a lot of toss-ups. There's a lot of teams I don't know that we know a ton of about because there's a lot of new. I mean, Texas, to me, I have it chalked up as like a, a very lightly penciled-in loss. But that you, You've been on record here on the podcast a couple times now being not as nearly as high on Texas as a lot of people are right now because of how new they are. Kentucky, I think, will be very improved. But again, very new team. What is what you know? Can Alabama and Arkansas build off the momentum from last year? Do we have a surprise team that is competing in that top four of the SEC? Does Florida, do they round a corner finally under Mike White? I don't think so, but... You know, we'll see. 
what does LSU do? Are they are they going to be a team that maybe surprises and, and could compete slash win for the SEC uh, this year? What about Auburn? You know, does Bruce Pearl bounce back after a disappointing year last year? And non-conference, I mean, Memphis looks like a really good team. I think you're catching Arizona at a good time and, and you should win that one. I don't think Texas Tech is as good as they have been years past. Colorado, again, that's a road matchup, but I think that should be a win. That Hall of Fame tip-off is going to be very intriguing between Villanova and then either UNC or Purdue. Those are both good teams that Tennessee will play uh, one of those two teams on Sunday. I, Gene, this, this is a, I don't have a, a specific record prediction. If you're 20 and 11, the record's going to say that's kind of a disappointment. That's not where you, you know, that's not great. That's, that's somewhat on par with what the team was last year. But I think at 20 and 11 this year with this schedule and with this roster makeup, I've said it before in this podcast. I don't know that some, I think there's a chance this, the record for this team may not be indicative of how good they are or maybe you bad, but you know how, how good they are in my opinion. Cause I think if you're 2011, this team probably sustained some losses early in the season to some really good teams and maybe bounce back later on in the year. But also I, I 100% can see this team going something like 24 and eight and being a, a contender for a, you know, one of those top 16 seeds in the NCAA tournament. I, I, this team to me, has a lot of upside, but it's also going to depend on can you stay healthy? If Fulkerson gets hurt and is out for an extended period of time, that's really going to hurt you. If a guy like Powell or Josiah Jordan-James, who both have been injured in their college careers, if they get hurt, especially Josiah, I think he's a, a huge X factor for this team. He, he's potentially the, the glue for this team. That's going to be a huge blow too. So health is a big factor of it. Between, anywhere, to, honestly, anywhere between 20 and 24 wins, I think is is where I, I'm predicting. And if I had to go a prediction, I'll, I'll go kind of somewhere in the middle and say 22 wins probably is where I think this team is. And I think that's an improvement from last year. And I think it's a, a, a team that is in that top six of the SEC. And I, But I think, I don't know. Like, again, I don't know that this team is going to be quote unquote as bad as maybe the record will, will say they might be. I think they'll have, a, they'll have a record that looks a little rough, but their BPI or net or whatever will be like, really high like a team because they're strength of schedule for one but I think they'll have looked good I, I don't know that we're going to see another clunker like last year you mentioned where Tennessee got blown out 75-49 I'd be shocked if this team had many games below 60 points it, it, it will probably happen a couple of times but I, I don't think we'll see more than a, a tiny handful of instances of this team having you know just absolute dumpster fires of an offensive performance like we've seen the last couple of years I, I, we'll see droughts in games but I don't think we'll see like eight, nine-minute droughts of Tennessee missing a field goal, of not being able to hit a field goal in a game. So I think the offense will be better, and I think that'll help their style points and help them look you know, better in the metrics than maybe on paper. But I, I really do think 22, 23 wins, that, that's kind of where I'm thinking. But again, it, it would not shock me at all if Tennessee has less than that. But it also wouldn't shock me if they have more than that. I don't think this is a team that's going to be a, you know, one of those top 10-ish seeds in the NCAA tournament. But I don't think they're going to be too far behind. They're they're number eighteen in the preseason polls right now, and I think that's fairly accurate to where I kind of think they are. I, I've said before, I think anywhere between that thirteen to seventeen range is where I think they'd be. They ended up eighteen. I was like, that makes sense too. Like I I just think that's kind of where they are, and I think that makes sense to me right now, just based on who what, what all they have, like new guys, post questions, uh, shooting questions. I think they've addressed the shooting questions, but I, I think this team has a lot of upside, but can they cash in on that and can the system that's around them work to their favor? You know, has Rick Barnes adjusted a system? He's shown you know, that he has been a little um, stubborn in terms of not adjusting a system. 
The exhibition game certainly looked like Rick Barnes' offense from the way they did the passing, but it didn't from the terms of how often they were shooting the threes. So did he? Does, has he changed enough and adjusted things enough to unlock the potential of this offense? Because I think that's going to be the key. So I, I think 22-ish wins is kind of where I have them, which would probably, for me, put them probably fighting again like they were last year for that fourth spot in the SEC, but maybe looking outside on the fifth spot. I think fifth or fourth in the SEC, I think, is... is about where I put them. That third wouldn't surprise me. Somewhere in that three to five range is, is kind of where I think in the SEC is where Tennessee will end up. I've got them 21 and 10 overall and 12 and 60. Um, with no bad losses, uh, with a couple really nice victories, I think the league it's not going to get away from anybody. Yeah. If, if it got away, maybe I don't see an Alabama sort of Recurrence. Um, I could see him in that top four range, um, and I could see them being a team that maybe doesn't have the non-conference sort of run that people may want. Maybe they start off. Uh, maybe they get to the non-conference. Those first twelve games, they're maybe six and four, five and five, whatever. Um, yeah, I guess it'd have to be a little better than that if I, if I'm, if for my 21 and 10 prediction. No, no, five and no, you're, uh, yeah, six, six, and, six and four would be spot on. Uh, and then that would leave you an opportunity to go 12 and six in, in conference play and then beat Texas. Um, Six, yeah, nineteen. That's actually more nineteen and twelve. But I think that they're about a twenty-one, twenty-two win team uh, that is consistently getting better. As a couple of these freshmen, uh, Chandler's going to. I mean, everybody. We we all have plenty of reason to get excited about Chandler. But let's not think for a second that he's not going to have one of these games where. It's like six, seven turnovers, and he's not hitting yeah, shots. He, he is a freshman, after all. Exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, that's going to happen. Let's just once we accept that, then now we can kind of move on. Um, so I think the Huntley Catfields so are going to spend a couple of games in the sort of, um, you know, barn sort of doghouse for just whatever reason, um, production, whatever the case may be. I think those are the two freshmen that I. That you know, off the top of my head, that you really kind of expect something from this year. I think anything you get out of the Ziegler kid is a plus. Um, Debunje, same with him. You know, any of those other freshmen, uh, Mayshack, he might give you you know something in a pinch, but those two primary guys, I mean, they're going to have their ups and downs. Uh, I'd be interested to see how the uh, what should we call it? Game is handled. Um, the Memphis game is going to be handled because um, that's that's an emotional game for Kennedy Chandler. That is an emotional game for him. So how is how how was that sort of game handled? Because that's where it's from. I get it. Like there's maybe some guys that he's played with or against. Um, or trained with, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it'll be interesting to see, like, how games like that happen. But 
I'm going to stick to 21 and 10. I don't know how exactly how they get there. I feel like they're a team that will be getting better uh, by the end of the season. Chandler will probably be playing some of his best basketball. Hope you know, it, it, for for this team to be good, you hope that Huntley Hatfield is playing some of his best basketball. I'm specifically speaking of the freshman because when you know when you're in your sixth season, I expect it from you, John Fowlers. Whatever your definition of good is, um, I probably would not have picked them first team All SEC, but I get it. Um, but what I do know is that that's a really good basketball player. You know, people can kind of point to the wherever sort of person. I don't think he'll ever be that 18 and 10 guy or whatever he was towards the end of the 2019-2020 season because a lot of that production was by necessity. They just didn't have any offense. Jordan Bowden hitting shots. Escovi had kind of mellowed out after the great start. All those sorts of things kind of happened early. But uh, later on, you know, it was all Fulkerson. But you need him to be uh, one of your best players at that point in the season. Kind of want Chandler to be your best player at that point, just because guards get you through March. Um, You want those guys to be playing really good basketball for you at that point. But like I said, I'm going to stick with 21 wins. Your your freshmen are playing good basketball. Your senior is playing like a senior. And you're a team that nobody really wants to face in March because you're kind of pesky. Uh, Maybe they're elite, whatever. That's for other people to kind of argue and decide. But I do think that they're a team that's pesky because if they're willing to shoot 60% of their shots from three-point range, you don't want to face those teams in March, especially when they're shooting almost 40% from three under those circumstances. So it'll be interesting. I mean, like, you know, Nathaniel and I were spot on with our predictions last year, so I certainly don't expect anything different this year. I kind of expect to kind of stay right on par with uh, my consistency there. (laughs) I will bring up the SEC here in a second, but you already mentioned March, so I want to go to kind of some postseason stuff for this team. Obviously, that's way ahead, but but looking ahead to the postseason, I, I agree with you. I think if you're if you've reached those points that you just mentioned, this is a team that you don't want to face in March in, in tournament play because it's a team that, like you said, I don't think is going to shut you down defensively. But you, you look at those teams at Arkansas and Alabama last year, they, they would give up a decent amount of points. But from an efficiency standpoint, they were forcing a lot of turnovers. They were forcing you into bad shots. You're getting points because they were running such a higher pace and they were getting off a lot of shots and making those shots. Um, you were scoring, but it was a case of, you know, a volume shooter is going to score points, but he's not doing it officially. You, you can go, go sh- you know, score, you can get 35 points in a game, but if you had to get, you know, if you had to attempt 30 field goals to get those 35 points, you know, how impressive was that actually? That just means you took a lot of shots and happened to make some of them. Like that's not even making half of them to get 35 points if you're if you're attempting 30 field goals a game. So what I, what I'm saying is that I think Tennessee may give up more points per game this year than you're used to seeing. But if they're forcing turnovers, if they're, like you, as you said, playing pesky defense, a, a defense that is annoying the other team to where they may be you know, putting up bad shots, they're rushing themselves because they they know they're going to have to keep up with what Tennessee's doing on offense. Really, it, it, you look at what the Tennessee football team is trying to become, what, what they've done a little bit this year, what you know, what Heupel kind of wants that team to be moving forward. 
that's what I think this Tennessee basketball team can be, a team that can put up offense and maybe move at a faster pace than they have the last few seasons, make the other team on offense get nervous and say, oh, man, we got to keep up with this team, and then make mistakes and, and you know, turn the ball over, and then that you know, goes from being Tennessee's defense turning into instant offense. We saw that a few times against Lenore Ryan where Tennessee stole the ball and it turned into instant fast-break offense. Tennessee, I think, had 16 fast-break points or something like that, which is, you know, that's a pretty good solid number of, of fast-break points for you in a game. So putting all that into there and assuming, again, that you don't have any significant injuries for guys out for an extended period of time, Gene, I think this is a team that is probably, I think, a, a, a five-seed, which... <laughs> Don't really want to be a five seed. That's not a great spot to be in. The twelve five upset is real, but so is a, a six eleven. So like it, it, you kind of want to avoid the five and six seeds if you can. If Tennessee can get to that four, maybe even sneak up to the three seed, that'd be great for them. But I I genuinely think this team, looking on paper right now, I think is a is a five seed could maybe play their way into a four if they get some of those. If they go out and they beat a Texas, if they if they beat a Kentucky, you know, split the season, and then maybe if they play each other again in the SEC tournament if Tennessee beats them there. If Tennessee wins, the, essentially if Tennessee wins the, the the series, if they play three times, they win the series against Kentucky, and they beat an Alabama once, finally, or at Arkansas, or at Auburn, I think that you can play your way, based on your net ranking and BPI and stuff, you could play your way into a four seed. But this team's seeding is going to be interesting because this, this year in basketball, I think, is going to be a really interesting one. You know, I think you mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we were talking specifically about Kentucky, but you also brought up the fact that, you know, Duke and North Carolina too. Is this the year the Blue Bloods bounce back from basically the Blue Bloods having a really down year last year overall? Like their UCLA being a run in the NCAA tournament, but it's not like they had a killer regular season. Does does a Kansas bounce back? Does Kentucky, does North Carolina, does Duke? Uh, do these Blue Bloods that historically have really good runs in the NCAA tournament, do they bounce back and, and does kind of the quote-unquote status quo reassert itself in men's basketball because if that's the case then that could be it, it'll be it's going to be interesting I think March in men's basketball this year Gene but I, I think just looking at Tennessee it's a team that I think can make it to the semis of the SEC tournament and I think it's a, I think it's a sweet 16 team in in March as well can they get to an elite eight it's good again the NCAA tournament's a crapshoot it's going to depend on who you're matched up against it's going to depend on injuries. It's going to depend on a lot of different stuff. I think they could get to an Elite Eight. I'm not going to predict that, but I think this is a, a Sweet 16 team, and I think that would be, you know, that'd be good. I think fans would be happy with that, uh, depending on, you know, how expectations get inflated or whatever during the regular season. Maybe they get deflated, and then fans are really excited and happy for a Sweet 16. But I, I think this is a team that I could definitely see making a Sweet 16 run and, and being in a similar position as that 18-19 team where – you're battling tooth and nail to get to that Elite Eight with whoever you're playing, and I don't know if they'll get there, but I think this is a team that I do think can make it to that second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And that's all you're really trying to do is mm -hmm. all you can do is take it a weekend at a time. And it's the whole cliche game at a time, but, I mean, let's just be honest, Tennessee's history has never made it past the second weekend. Uh, they made it to the second weekend, what, nine times? Um they made it to the second game of the second weekend once. Uh, the, so heartbreaks on the way. Obviously, the Purdue game is in what nineteen. Uh, the Michigan game, I think, in fourteen. Whatever the case may be. Um, 
so that's why like it's all about building throughout the season that 19 team for all of its you know accomplishments never got better throughout the season they were just really good to begin with because they were all older guys but they never and it was the essentially the entire team from the year before they got better in the offseason but the team themselves never got better there's so much room for this team to improve. So much. Maybe na- maybe names kind of um, show themselves on the interior. Chandler blows up as a point guard. Josiah Jordan James becomes this amazing glue person who can, you know, flirt with triple doubles and stuff like that. Fulkerson figures out, you know, how how to be whatever. Uh, you know, he goes back to being a 20 point guy. Um, but even not, even if it's not him, it's somebody Powell becomes a reliable three point shooter from deep. That's Govies. Like there's so many places where this team can get better because they haven't seen a lot of basketball. Like you get past Fulkerson, uh, Victor Bailey, you're talking about guys. I mean, Vescovi's got what about 50 games of experience. Josiah Jordan James got like 65 games of experience. And not to mention like how just how crazy, how choppy uh, last year was for all of these guys who were having to miss for different reasons. So like there's so many places for this group to improve. Um, Olivier, can he figure something out? Yurosh, can he become a reliable person on the interior to give you just a few points here and there? Like that's that's when I when I look at like when I watch that um, exhibition, that's what I saw, and I think that's if you're if you're Tennessee if you're that coaching staff, that's exactly what you're looking at and you're saying, okay, uh, there's so much room for improvement. It, it's weird that like I think back to uh, a few weeks ago. I know this is a basketball podcast, but we like to bear off and do things um oh yeah i was watching i was watching bama texas a&m and he, and everybody knows how nick saban likes to kind of manufacture reasons to get mad at his team and i remember at halftime of a game they're pretty much getting drilled uh the score may have been close i don't know but i just recall it felt like they were getting drilled in that game and saban was smiling it was weird, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, this dude tried to manufacture reasons to get mad for so long, and now he actually has a legitimate reason to be mad. And like coaches want that. Like when you're at when you're at that level, you have to find reasons to kind of knock your team down because you need to have room for improvement. And so when I look at when I watch that jam, I mean that jamboree, the exhibition game. I'm thinking, man, if you're if you're Rick and that staff, there's plenty of stuff that you can hammer home. Mm-hmm. Little things here, little things there. You know, don't settle for threes. Don't do this. We like you. You know, we like taking threes. Make sure it's the right shots. We kind of you know took some bad ones there. Um, so many things along the way. Take care of the basketball, which is always good. I understand it's Lenore Ryan, but you can have 25 turnovers against Lenore Ryan just like you can have 25 turnovers against Villanova. Um. So like I, I that's so when I look at it, I'm like, man, that's a team that if they can, if they can put some stuff together, 
once they figure out who that eight or nine those eight or nine guys are going to be come March, that's team that can do something because the nine that they will be able to roll out there will have some level some measure of size, especially if if you can go Fulkerson, Kamwa, and Huntley Hatfield as your three. You know, guys that can kind of you know play inside and out with Josiah, um, the Powell kid, the Chandler kid, Vescovi, Bailey. I think that's eight, and figure else, figure somebody else out from there. Maybe that's your eight because Rick typically, you know, in the past has gone eight. I've, one thing I've always argued is it's one thing to go eight because you just like going eight. It's another thing to go eight because you can't go nine. Uh, I think that 19 team was only able to go seven. Uh, Derek Walker, I believe, was number eight. And they never had any confidence in him. So I think they have the ability to go eight and maybe sneak that thing up to nine because of the – or stay at eight because of what Josiah can do interior and on the perimeter. So once they figure that thing out and they can really kind of hammer home rolls – this is a team that I would watch out for. I mean, are, are, am I saying national championship? I don't think so. Or am I saying they even flirt with it? I don't think so. But as Nathaniel, you said at the beginning of this uh, of, of this particular topic, you know, March is a crapshoot. You just never know. All you got to do is get yourself in the game, and anything can happen. Nobody thought UCLA would have been playing for a national championship, and they were really close to playing for one last year. Maybe we underestimate the Pac-12 because that's typically what happens uh, with Americans with the Pac-12. They just underestimate it in general, football, basketball, whatever. Um, maybe that was a better league than we ever imagined because I'm pretty sure there were a number of teams that were still floating around the Sweet 16, um, maybe five of them or whatever. But um, but all you can do is get yourselves in the dance and make sure that you're trying you're playing something close to your best basketball. Because if you're there, if you're in the dance, hate to make a corny rhyme, but you've got a chance. <laughs> Look at you dropping bars. Jim. I didn't do it, man. I, I, I regretted the second. I, I got up in the air and I said, God, I'm going to have to rhyme here. It's, and it's going to sound horrible. But it's, <laughs> it's just the truth. Like you, you get there, you give yourself an opportunity. As, as football coaches would say, you just want to give yourself an opportunity to be successful. God, this is yep. really coaches here lately like, you can tell what time of year it is with what Gene's, <laughs> how Gene's talking and the the phrases he's using uh, really quickly here let's look at the SEC who's winning the SEC and also on the opposite end Gene is, is this Georgia team going to be like historically bad like is this going to be like Wade Houston era but even worse bad because I, I we'll get to who's winning the SEC in a second this, this Georgia team to me like goodness gracious they are going to be some of the worst Division One basketball I've ever seen. Like, you already lost how many guys? Like, seven, eight, nine players transfer off that team, then your best player, arguably, for the, the your, your team is out for the year here in preseason. Like, this team's not going to be... This team's going to be awful. Like, they'll be lucky to win two SEC games. I mean, I, I, even that, like, they'd have to beat, like, a South Carolina and Vandy to get those wins. Like, they, they're going to not be good, period. This, th- there's To me, there's no way... Any other team, unless they have a rash of injuries, finishes below Georgia in the SEC this year. Like I, I, this is going to be Wade Houston era Tennessee basketball 
horrible. I, to me, the whole Tom Crean experience is a fireball offense. Um, <laughs> it just is, man. I don't know what it is about that guy, but he got there and that very first year he was in the, you know, we were in the press conference after the Tennessee Georgia game and he essentially just said he wasn't going to win with that roster. <laughs> like it's in January. I'm like, I mean, Tennessee had beaten by like 40 or whatever, but um, he pretty much threw his team under the bus. Then he flips, he flips the roster. He gets lucky that he gets Anthony Edwards. They still don't do anything with it. They lose most of that team. He has an All SEC point guard who's now going to, who could be an All SEC point guard for two different schools because he's yep. in Kentucky now. Um, I, I just I don't maybe you just maybe that there's just so much goodwill going on with your football program that Tom Crean's like no 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 look at the football stuff don't worry about it us over here we're good we're good don't worry just don't hey hey Kirby. See, you see what Kirby did the other day? Or maybe he's just trying to avert attention over there to the to the football program because I don't see how I don't see where I don't see how they're successful this year. Um, it's funny, I got on the SEC website and the first thing I see is Tom Crean embraces change in Georgia and I'm like, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted, I didn't want to laugh, like right in the middle of it. I almost muted the thing so I could laugh, but that really was the headlines. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Said, he says that college sports need to embrace change. Yeah, well, still either way. No, that's actually, just... I was right the first time. Tom Crean embraces change at Georgia. I was. I knew I saw it. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's... It, you've got all these... You're losing great players. And you are... <laughs> you are replacing them with transfers from FAU uh, here's a freshman from Virginia like, I, I just don't you've already lost an exhibition game to, to Charlotte who is not a great program like that's I, I just don't see how he gets it done like even Look, even people making fun of Vandy, they showed signs of life last year. They weren't a bad team. Yeah, and they got they got Scotty Pippen, who was preseason SEC Player of the Year, which I think is a that's not a bad choice. No, it's not. And it you know, Scotty Pippen Jr. will get the same treatment that the the Wake Forest kid from uh, that went to Kentucky last year would get from me uh-huh. if he's yeah. SEC Player of the Year. Then you you have a Vandy team that is somewhere towards the top half of the league, because if he ain't SEC Player of the Year, then you're just Vandy, and that historically has not been great. It's had some moments, had some moments, but it's historically not been great. I don't, man, I, I don't know. Like I think it's one of those things where you just, you know, last year we just threw Vandy at 14 and just kind of kept it moving. This year, it feels like we're just going to throw Georgia at 14 and just kind of just don't even worry about the rest. But, I mean, one, can thir- one through 13 will figure itself out. Maybe it's Bama, it's Arkansas. You know, Auburn's going to be competitive this year. You know, Kentucky, we'll see. They're a little bit older now, but they've got a few players back from last year. 
maybe, you know, obviously Tennessee is there in the mix. What happens with Ole Miss? He's done some great recruiting. I don't know. You know who? I'll tell you who I think is a team to watch out for on the negative side. Oh really? Yeah, who? LSU. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good one. They had quite a few guys transfer. I just, I just never realized. Yeah, no, he got. He brought some transfers in. That's right. They get. Yeah, yeah they get zero Pinson. Yeah, guys. But. And Adam Miller from Illinois, who was pretty solid there. But after talk with a couple people, they're like, man, I don't know about that LSU team. Now, am I saying that it could be one of those weird deals where because the league is what it is, you're the 11 seed, but you're like 9 and 9 or 8 and 10. Mm-hmm. And maybe you knocked off Kentucky or Bama or one of those top level teams. But because 3 through 12 are all essentially 11 and, you know, 11 and 7 to 8 and 10 or 9 and 9 it could be one of those deals but where they've been ever since Will Wade got there I feel like there's a step back coming this year I just feel like maybe I'm wrong because I do I think Will is an excellent coach I know Tennessee fans feel differently about Will Wade the person but Will the coach has been successful he's been successful everywhere he's gone and I don't, I don't think that will change. I just wonder what the definition of that's going to be this particular year. Yeah, I think a team that that I think there's a somewhat trendy pick as a underdog team in the, in the SEC, but I, don't, I still don't think team people are giving enough credit at that as a team. I think it could compete for that top half of the SEC and maybe even surprise and compete for the top four is Mississippi State because I think they did a really good job this offseason. You look at them bringing in DJ Jeffries from Memphis, Garrison Brooks from North Carolina. They also added some other good transfers at Rocket Watts and Shaquille Moore. Um, four-star Cameron Carter came in as a as a recruit. That's a team that I'll be I'll be interested to see. Can Ben Howland? What can he do with this team? Can he finally get over the hump and, and kind of get some more momentum there? Because they're they're a team that I think brought in some intriguing pieces that I think could fit well into what Howland has done there. They obviously lost a few um, good guys too. Especially you look at Abdul Adu, who's been a really a really good defender for the past few years for them. He transferred to Cincinnati. Uh, Jalen Johnson, I think, transferred as well. But you, you did, they didn't lose as much as some of these other teams did in the transfer portal or through graduation. Uh, they, I think they lost their they lost somebody that was of significance. I'm, I'm trying to remember who it was now. But they, they, they're they bringing back a couple of guys. I, I don't, again, I'm not expecting them to win the SEC or maybe finish, finish in the top four. But I think that's a team that they're going to give some teams trouble this year, um, Mississippi State is. It, it, again, like you said, we know who 14 is. I have a feeling South Carolina and Vandy will probably still be there in the bottom three or four teams. But like the middle part of the SEC this year is is really interesting to me. And I think I think you have a, a decided right now, at least early on paper, top five, maybe six in the SEC. But I don't know. There's not a clear cut winner. The, the past two years, you've had teams run away with it. You you had Alabama run away with it last year. Uh, the year before that, we forget a lot because of COVID, but Kentucky really ran away from the SEC uh, down the stretch the year before that. But then you look at the two years when Tennessee was competing for the SEC. Those are some tight races. You, you obviously tied with Auburn for the title in 18, and then LSU and Tennessee came down the last weekend of who was going to win the SEC that year in the regular season too. So like, I think it'll be a lot more like those two years than the past two years. I think it's going to be a very tight race. I, I agree with you. I don't think you see a team – pull away with it. Is it Kentucky? Is it Auburn? Is it Alabama? Is it Arkansas? Is it Tennessee? 
I would bet it being one of those five. I don't think, again, I agree with you. I don't think it'll be an LSU. I don't think it'll be a Mississippi State. I don't think it's going to be in, in the other team in the SEC, but I don't know that there's like, the, to me, there's not a consensus. I know the, the SEC media picked Kentucky. But I, I was just looking on, on CBS Sports, and they, with their panel writers, shout out to uh, David Cobb, former UT Former UT coverage guy over there used to be for the Daily Beacon. Used to be for uh, he's been a Knoxville Sentinel. Used to be all over Knoxville. Times Free Press, man. Yeah, Times Free Press. He, he, it was him, Gary Parish, yeah. Jerry Palm, and, and two other guys were picking the SEC. And they, as a team, as, as like a collective, picked I think Alabama. But like two guys picked Alabama, one picked Arkansas. Jerry Palm picked Tennessee. So like again, they weren't even on consensus of who they really were picking to win the SEC. So it's going to be interesting. It, it's going to be probably the most fun we've had watching SEC basketball in a while because I think this is the it's still top heavy in terms of like teams like teams 6 through 10 aren't going to really truly compete with teams 5 through 1 but they're going to be able to maybe sneak up on a couple of those those teams a couple of times and I think it's going to be a, a year where you see the SEC get 5-6 teams in the NCAA tournament which they haven't done you no know, routinely either so I think it's going to be a fun year this is going to be the most fun I think we've had watching SEC basketball in a while, and I, and I think where Tennessee ends up will be very interesting to see because I, I truly do not know it, but I, I think they're one of the top four teams in the SEC, but that may not even reflect itself in the standings by the end of the year, so we'll see. Is there is there anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Gene? No, I, I do think that this is one of those weird years. I mean, look, I mean, you talked about six through ten. I mean, I can make – I mean, to, to the depth of this league, you can make an argument. I mean, you could. I could see a scenario where Tennessee's six, but I'll yeah. see a scenario where Tennessee's capable, like I said earlier, of beating one of those top level teams. I, I think that the top has gotten weaker. You know, we may not have seen the Bama thing happening last year, but that ain't going to happen again. In Arkansas, so. Arkansas has been out there now, so it's not like Arkansas is going to sneak up on anybody. Um, I think Kentucky is an interesting team. I, I know, obviously, Tennessee is an interesting team. You brought you brought Mississippi State, and that's a team that I've always I've heard a lot about. Same with Ole Miss. Um, like they've done a lot of interesting stuff as far as the portal. I think it's not it's not not long before a lot of these leagues because of the transfer portal. Um, heck, this year would be a great year for them to just drop freshman of the year. And just go with like newcomer of the year. Yeah, so few freshmen. Like I, like I wish I, w- I wish I could see the number of incoming freshmen this year in the country as compared to last year at the Division One level, because with the extra year of eligibility for everybody, you've got super seniors and things of that nature to where those spots, you know, kids were getting squeezed out of spots because they didn't have opportunity. Kids who were Division One caliber players went D2 because they're like, spots just aren't there. And, then and, with, and you also have those upper echelon players, a few more of them going pro rather than going to college too. Yeah, like the whole overtime elite. I just saw a highlight of overtime elite now. I mean, like there's – it's not long before that – well, I can't say it's not long before it changes because that'll correct itself back. I think after this year, uh, I think the class of 2023 will be the first class that that's fully 
you know, kind of back. I think it'll come back some this year, especially with college coaches having a chance to evaluate kids. The transfer portal won't be as popular. Like, let's just be honest. Like, kids, got to tell you all, listeners, you think this year's transfer portal was crazy? Wait till you see it next year. It'll never be as bad as it is this coming year. It'll never be as bad. Because guess what? A lot of college coaches could not... You couldn't be in the gym to evaluate kids last year. You couldn't. Couldn't do it. Couldn't watch them in 2020. Yep. So you're taking word of mouth. Uh, you get kids who are just so enamored with the thought of playing Division One that they just take whatever opportunities available. Uh, you have coaches that come April that are looking around at all levels, SEC, wherever. Okay, we'll just take this kid. So, like, this this offseason coming up, like, I feel worse for the class of 2022 than I felt for the class of 2021. And I feel bad for the class of 2020. Just I mean, those kids, just because they lost their, the end of their high school. Uh, and had college athletes lost their NCAA tournament. I still remember that one poor basketball game that was being played the day that everything shut down. That they just refused to oh, quit, man. quit playing. Um but, you know, like class 2021, it was a rough experience for them. A lot of game, a lot of high school games being played in front of parents, and that's it. Um, you know, this this year, at least you had a chance to be evaluated. So your experience would be a little bit better. You had a better chance to make a decision. And college coaches had a better chance to evaluate you, to give you opportunities. But, man, um like it's going to be interesting, man. Like I, all these rosters. I mean, we we prop up the transfer portal and all this that, and the other, but a lot of that is also misevaluations and uh, you know, kids maybe overshooting their shot. I mean, that's kind of the you know, like the I hate to bring up specific names, but the but the Drew Pimbers of the world and guys like that. Uh, mm-hmm who, again, not going to turn out an opportunity to play for Tennessee. You're going to bet on yourself. may not have worked out. You still have it. You still have memories. You've got NCAA tournament swag, but it's what it's But I think more than anything else, uh, like everybody listens to this podcast, personally, excited for the season. I know the thing list as well. Um, this, you know, we, we actually, the thing, and we made it. Um, yeah. Made it through a lot of, you know, months of talking about recruiting, um, hypotheticals. Greg Barnes's contract. Yes, contract talks. <laughs> uh, you know, we we've luckily gotten past any sort of negative, you know, discussions concerning AAU basketball. All of that stuff is in the rearview mirror, and now we can just simply focus on games, which make the podcast it will probably make podcasts shorter but will make them also I think more informative because we can just focus on what's happened on the court and not just well what about this thing well what about this guy will this guy get this star how many stars does this guy have does Tennessee have a chance here what about Imani Bates hey he put Tennessee on the list well, what about this who's this guy Huntley Hatfield Tomba, you know, 
we're here now. We can focus on the games. Congratulations, folks. We made it. Hopefully your Vols beat Kentucky this weekend. But if not, you've got more reason to sit here and listen to us next week as we, we keep on giving you adult pods to listen to. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully Tennessee does beat Kentucky. But like you said, if, uh, if that doesn't happen, you're more than welcome to start looking ahead even more to basketball season. Again, even if they lose, you know, Tennessee could still make a bowl game and stuff this year. But you know, they, losing, Kentucky, man. losing Kentucky in football stings no matter what. So anyway, don't want to end on a sour note. I agree with you, Gene. I'm very excited. We are here finally. Uh, again, we'll have a Lady Vols podcast looking at um, their season, looking at their exhibition game that they play on Wednesday, looking at their season coming up too, because I think they also have a lot of potential for this year. And I think that that's going to be an interesting um, season for the Lady Vols and, and Kelly Harper's third year at the helm and, and see what she can do with it being pretty much mostly her roster at this point. So uh, that's an interesting season to watch as well. Men's team, very interesting to watch. We'll, we'll see how things transpire here in a week when they play UT Martin and then ETSU, and then they go into their first really big test when they play Villanova here in about three-ish weeks or so. But thank you all again so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And like Gene said, this will be the last time Gene and I do an episode where we're not talking about a game. We'll have a game to talk about next time. We'll, we'll, we'll probably record on Wednesday of next week to talk about Tennessee's season opener against UT Martin our takeaways from that and obviously predicting every other game after that because we will know everything we need to know after one game of the season. That's how it works. Uh, that's how it works in the NBA especially. It's how it works in college basketball. works in every sport. You know everything you need to know about a team after one game. But in all seriousness, we'll, we'll be back next week, Gina and I will, to discuss the men's team and, and how they do and how they looked against UT Martin. Thank you all so much for tuning in. As I said, top of the show, we're available everywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to the show today if you haven't already. Share this with a friend if they like Tennessee basketball, if they like Tennessee sports in general. Uh, or Lady Vols also, again, let them know that we'll have some more stuff for Lady Vols here coming soon. Follow us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever and like us on Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever there. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode 